Right, well, welcome again. Those of you just joining us online, glad that you are here this morning. Uh, today we're going to jump back into our series. Last week we celebrated Easter, uh, but we're going to jump back into our series uh, that we're just calling Refocus, where we're just working our way through uh, some of the teaching and things we need to um, work our way through uh, in order to kind of reestablish ourselves as a fully accredited church within the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And I just want to say, I see those Alliance shirts out there, and I did not get the memo. <laughs> There's two shirts that match, and I have the third matching one. Um, but what we've said all along during this series is that the mission of our church, and really the mission of any church, um, has been given to us just by Jesus himself. Uh, Jesus, at the end of um, the Gospel of Matthew, in what we call the Great Commission, of course, says that famous phrase that we're supposed to go into all the world and make disciples, right, of every tribe, nation, tongue, all that stuff. But as you know, Jesus starts this announcement, that commission, with an interesting statement where he says something about authority. And I think that's an important uh, thing for us. He says that all authority, so in heaven and on earth, as Jesus says it, has been given to him. And then from that authority, he gives us our mission as disciples and as the church. And so in the Christian and Missionary Alliance, we actually talk about uh, what we call constituted authority. And that's kind of a technical phrase that we use where basically what we're saying is that authority comes from uh, Jesus himself, the great shepherd, down to our churches. And then from there, we're sent out on mission. Now, that has a lot of implications for how we do discipline and licensing and all that stuff. But for today, um, we're going to focus just on the idea in broad terms of authority and power. Uh, and so while the church um, it is unlike any other organization uh, in that it cuts across all the things that every other kind of organization is usually built on, right? Ethnicity, politics, sports, music, web preference, whatever it is, uh, the church cuts across all those things. And that's why the church looks the way it does when it's a healthy church. We're full of different kinds of people uh, because what draws us together is the gospel of Jesus, the blood of Christ, his resurrection, and his empowerment through his spirit. But what we also see is that in the New Testament, as the church grows from a tiny little uh, Jewish sect into what it has become over the last couple thousand years, um, we see that as it does that, what ends up being needed is what always ends up being needed when uh, even just a family grows bigger, and that's uh, just leadership. Uh, and so that leadership is something that just is a necessary uh, thing. Even in the garden, God gives authority and leadership to Adam and Eve. He tells them to basically take what I've created and organize it and make it better. Uh, name the animals and all, all that stuff. That's constituted authority if you really want to uh, put that name on it. And so uh, at the same time, uh, as the church is different than any other organization, we're similar in that we need leadership in the church. Uh, we just don't want chaos going on in the church. And in fact, a lot of the New Testament is being written to churches that have some form of chaos or lack of leadership going on. And so that's what we uh, have as kind of our missionary handbook in the New Testament. Uh, we have the accounts of the life of Jesus, and then we have essentially letters to churches saying, hey, no, this is how it should look, and that's leadership. Uh, and so um, as soon as we start to talk about organization and leadership, we inherently have to start to talk about authority, right? Because who gets to make the decision? Uh, and so uh, that for us is a pretty hot button issue, leadership, authority, and specifically when you hear the word power, power structures, uh, Me Too movement was based on that. A lot of the conversations we're having uh, about the history of racial tensions in our country are based around power, 
Uh, and so that's a conversation that's happening right now. Uh, and we, each of us in our own experience, probably have stories we could tell of when authority or power was misused or mishandled. Right. And so um, we, we have loads of those uh, examples of bad leadership. We have experience personally of what it looks like when people in leadership positions have a relationship to authority that doesn't lead to the thriving of humanity around them. So right now, I'll give you an example from the world stage, so to speak. Uh, we have a horrible situation happening in Myanmar, Burma, where essentially what has happened is a military coup that has led to the deaths of dozens of people, uh, including a, a lot of children. Uh, and this is an example of what happens when there is an ungodly view of authority and it gets taken kind of to its uh, to its end. That, that's what's going on right now. But we have so many examples from our own communities, our own nation as well, right? Doesn't matter which side of the political aisle you're on, you can point at leaders on both sides who have not done authority well. And so we have example after example, even from within our own sort of Christian world, right? I mean, most recently, uh, the stuff with Ravi Zacharias that came out and the, and the horrible situation, that is, again, another example of misuse of authority, misuse of power. And so as a reaction to this, um, what we have is a view across many places and even in some of us where we, we've reacted to that bad use of authority by saying all authority then is inherently bad. That authority itself is the problem and so we need to root that out. And so we're, we're in a moment of deconstruction right now, culturally speaking. Uh, our culture is deconstructing a lot of the way things have been. Some of that's good and some of that's not good. Some of that deconstruction is going to lead to bad things. And, and a lot of that has to do with the way we've seen authority and power abused and misused. And so because God has wired human beings the way he's wired us, right? We believe that God has wired us in the same way that he wired Adam and Eve before the fall to be creative and to bring order out of chaos. What we've done as human beings is respond to a perceived uh, need that we see. Uh, but the problem is that we've responded in a way that says all authority is bad. And, and really that solution uh, creates more problems than it solves, uh, and so that solution in itself doesn't really solve the problem. And so uh, we, we end up with this solution uh, where we say we're going to push back against all authority and all authority is bad. And if you're from the authority, then you're from the bad people and, uh, and, and all of that. And so uh, we end up with this situation where we have little to no trust in leaders, right? Across the board, that's, that's spiking right now in uh, in our sort of uh, situation, our culture, we question everything they do. We question everything they say. And some of that's good. We should do that. Uh, we question every decision, every, uh, every motive that they might have. And if you think about it, every piece of art, every piece of music, every piece of kind of any cultural expression right now is being invaded with this idea that authority is bad, we should get rid of kind of the, the way things have been, right? Uh, every movie since I've been in high school is basically like a dystopian future where the government failed because they were evil and now the new hero independent person is doing everything. That's essentially the storyline uh, of so many movies. And so we end up questioning any and all forms of authority. Now, what we know from the Great Commission of Jesus, though, for those of us in the church... And, and really the entire witness of the Bible is that authority is not inherently bad or evil. 
Authority itself is not bad. Leadership itself is not inherently bad or evil. Authority itself is a good thing that has been given to us by God and, and by God to Jesus and then to us as we see in the commission. And this is what we see uh, in the scriptures. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So then if that's the case, then there has to be a place for authority and leadership inside of Jesus' kingdom where he's the king. And the expression of that right now is inside of the church. And so what I want to do over the next couple weeks uh, I always think I'm going to cover a lot more in one week than we actually will. So I'm, I'm learning to, to pull back on that and say, no, this is probably going to take two weeks. So over the next couple weeks, probably three, uh, what I want to do is walk us through some of this. So today I just want to focus on two places from the life of Jesus uh, where he does some specific teaching on this topic. And then we see a, an embodied picture of this in a uh, display in Jesus' life. And then over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the kind of technical side of uh, as a church, as a Christian and Missionary Alliance church, who we believe is called and qualified to actually fill the, the leadership roles within the church. And then after that discussion, we'll revisit the conversation on membership that we had in general and talk in specifics about membership here at our church. And hopefully by then we'll even have uh, some kind of a membership covenant that we will have kind of written down to say this is what we're all in on together. So that's kind of the, the written in pencil plan, as I like to say, over the next few weeks. But before we get started, I just want to share with you from my own experience uh, of being in the church. I have never not been in a church family. Uh, I cannot think of more than a handful of Sundays where I wasn't in a church service somewhere. So that's my background. That's my, uh, my story as a kid. I grew up from, I, can, like, I can't remember my family ever not being in a church. So I've been in a bunch of churches in a few different states because my family moved around a lot um, and for no other reason than we just like to move, I think. But um, I have stories from my own past in the church that create in my own heart a sense of distrust sometimes in leadership, and, and specifically even in church leadership, ironically, that I'm a part of now. Right? And so I've shared this with our own advisory committee, our own leadership team, uh, but I think that when I first came as pastor uh, a little over three years ago, actually three and a half years ago, um, I still had some, some baggage that I didn't even realize I had. Like I had some church hurt baggage that I was carrying on to. Some of it I knew I had, and you know, like you do when you get bitter, you kind of like it for a while because it feels good to be mad. But then there was some leftover stuff that I didn't realize I still had. And so I was in a church where the leadership team was really just unhealthy. Um, and, and so there was a lot of distrust. There was a lot of misuse of authority kind of going around each other uh, to kind of manipulate situations. And the way a lot of this manifested itself was just kind of in uh, an inability to make good decisions, an inability to do things for the flourishing of the church. And it also manifested itself in crazy long elder meetings, like six-hour elder meetings. The two elders in here, it ain't happened, that ain't happened, right? right? So we'd spend an entire Saturday in a room together. Uh, and, and so when I came here, um, I noticed that I would start to feel a little bit stressed out on the Monday morning that we were going to have an advisory committee that meeting that night. And so uh, I began to realize, wait a minute, this is like 
a weird form of like church PTSD almost. Like you, you carry over this stuff from your past experience. And the reason I want to share this is that I'm guessing that some of you have had an experience like that in maybe a church, maybe in the long history of this church that you've been a part of. There's some conflict you can remember where uh, leadership didn't do its job. And part of what I want to say to you is, um, as I preach these messages about leadership, it doesn't mean that the elders and, and the deacons and whoever is the leaders in this church are going to be the perfect embodiment of these things. It means that we're trying uh, and we're, we're walking with Jesus. But it also, I share this with you, just to say that I know what church hurt feels like. Um, I, I, you know, I know what it feels like to uh, have one thing be told to the kind of public of the church and have another thing going on behind closed doors and you're really feeling like you can't do much about it and the distrust that can lead to. So I've been there, but my desire as a leader here is to, number one, walk in the light and share those things with people that are uh, close to me so we can walk, work through that together, but then also to do everything we can as a leadership team um, uh, to pursue relationship with authority uh, in, in a way that uh, leads to trust and flourishing for both the, the people being led, right, the congregation, and also the health of the leaders themselves. Because if you have unhealthy leaders, you're going to have an unhealthy sort of system and organization. So that's my desire. So let me just pray, and then we're going to dig into just a couple verses for uh, just a few minutes. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that the church is a place where we can be uh, honest with one another, that we can be open with one another, and that we can share what's really going on inside. And I just pray that as we think about uh, the way that your son showed authority to us, that it stands in such contrast to what we see in our day and age. And Father, I pray right now that uh, as we sort of come out of this time of uh, COVID and all the things we've been through in the last 14 months or so, um, with so much questioning of authority going on and anger, I just pray, Father, that you would make the church and specifically our church a, a shining light of what beautiful, loving authority in a family looks like. Uh, that we would walk together, that we would uh, produce leaders who are healthy and who lead out of a place of servant leadership and not out of a place of, of power or self-aggrandizement uh, or any of those things that we see in the world. And so I just pray today that these words would sink into my heart as I do my best to preach them and to our hearts as we hear uh, from these two places in the scriptures. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew 20 is the first place I want to go to. Matthew chapter 20, and what I want to do first is just walk us through a short section of a teaching from Jesus, or kind of really a leadership moment from Jesus with his disciples during a moment of conflict, which is unfortunately when a lot, when a lot of leadership is, is required, is when conflict happens, we need leaders to step into those spaces. Um, but I want to walk you through this little teaching on this issue of what we commonly call servant leadership. Okay, so this is Matthew chapter 20. I'm going to start in verse 25. But Jesus called them, the disciples, to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, Jesus does this a lot in the Gospels. He says, essentially, look at me 
If you think you're great, I'm actually the greater one and I'm serving. Therefore, how much more does that mean for you? That's kind of a, a way that Jesus talks about this. But first off, the context of this teaching is that two of Jesus' disciples have essentially had their mom come and ask who's going to be in power in the kingdom. Uh, and so she wants to make sure her boys are going to be in positions of honor and power, one at, my, one at his right, one at his left, when Jesus rules in his kingdom. And in verse 24, we see the direct context of the words of Jesus that I just read. Verse 24 says that when the other 10 heard this, they were indignant, right? They were ticked, as we would say. Uh, now, keep in mind, these are very young men, these are very, very young men, probably teenagers, early 20s. So generally speaking, and I mean this with love because I have been a young man not too long ago, uh, not the most level-headed, self-control type of people we know, right? There's a reason insurance rates are higher for young men. Okay, so this is a room full of young men, and these guys are kind of, they're kind of, it's like they're indignant. You get the sense they're ready to throw hands at James and John here at the sons of Zebedee. Uh, why? Because they have the same view of power, which is what Jesus is going to address. They have the same view of power and authority that these two brothers do. They're not indignant because, what they, uh, be, because they want what's right, I don't think. I think they're indignant because they asked the question before any of them thought to. I think they're indignant because it's like, hey, hey, that's not fair. We want to be in power. And so... Jesus gathers them up. I can imagine him, you know, starting with kind of like, all right, everybody take a breath and let's calm down, right? Let's gather in here, huddle up team. And Jesus gives one of his kind of, you have heard it said, but now I say to you sort of teachings here. So, so there's three things I want you to see in Jesus kind of corrective in this moment. First, worldly leaders, Gentile or pagan leaders, that just means worldly leaders, uh, rulers rule this way because they view authority in a worldly way. Secondly, uh, you are meant to rule another way because you're meant to view authority in the opposite way. And thirdly, that opposite way is the way of the cross, which in this text is not far away depending on which gospel you read. And so in verses 26 and 27, Jesus gets a little poetic here. He gives this parallelism. He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first must be your slave. So he's actually being kind of poetic here. He is using, this is an example of what we would call uh, a Hebrew poetic parallelism or parallelism in uh, kind of the Hebrew poetry world. Uh, and this is a really specific kind of parallelism that is called synonymous or focusing, depending on who you read, parallelism. So synonymous or focusing parallelism. So all this means is that the first term is nearly the, second as, uh, the same as the second, but the difference between the two is the point. So whoever would be great must be your servant. So great and servant uh, are, are juxtaposed there. And then this second phrase is very similar to the first, but there's a slight difference, and that's kind of the point. Whoever would be first must be your slave. So Jesus is juxtaposing two sort of cultural positions here, servant and great, and then first would be kind of the great of the great, and slave would be the low of the low. And so what this means is that Jesus is essentially saying something like this, right? Do you want to be great? Then good, then you need to be a servant. 
The, the word there for servant is diakonos, which is where we get the word deacon from, which we're going to cover in not long from now. That word literally means table servant. So when you go to a restaurant, and I know it's not polite to call them, we call them servers now, right? Not waiters or waitresses. That's right. We call them servers now. That's literally what that, that word means. It means table servant. Okay? So you want to be great in the kingdom of God? You want to be a leader? Go wait some tables. That's what Jesus is getting us to think through. That then he takes, it, he takes it up another notch. Do you want to not just be great, but do you want to be first? Do you want to be great among the greats? Then you need to be a slave. And the word there is doulos. And the definition of that word is someone who has no right or existence on his own, who lives solely for others. So uh, lately, my daughter has been watching the remake of the movie, The Parent Trap, okay? Like on repeat a bajillion times. Uh, if you've had little kids, that's what they do. In that movie, uh, there's a character named Martin, okay? He's a British butler. He's pretty funny. Uh, Martin is a butler, and she, she's watching the more modern remake, if I didn't say that already. But uh, Jesus says to the Christian, Christian, hey, think like Martin. Think like Martin. So, so if you want to lead in the kingdom of God, the call is not, hey, come lead in the kingdom of God. It's a place of honor and power. No, the call is, if you want to lead in the kingdom of God, sacrifice in yourself in order to serve others first. And then as we see in Philippians, to consider others more significant than yourself. If you want to have a radical Christian stance in our time right now, have that stance. Consider other people as more significant than yourself. That is radical Christianity right now. So here, Jesus is teaching this new community, this new brotherhood, a new paradigm, a new way to, to be human. Whereas uh, one commentator says, the only valid ambition is the ambition to serve. Now, now this would be in stark contrast, not just to our culture, but to the Greco-Roman world of these people. In one of uh, Plato's works, we read this, how can anyone be happy when he is the slave of anyone else at all? This is a characteristically Greek way of thinking, Gentile assumption. And this is actually exactly what Jesus is turning on its head. He's coming along and he's in essence saying, how can anyone be truly happy unless he is a servant, a slave to other people? This is a radical kingdom of heaven shift. When we think about authority, worldly authority is a supposed escape from serving and from suffering, right? When we think about being rich and famous, which is a form of authority, we think about just leisure and not having any suffering. This sounds like the message of the good life that we are told about every day. But for Jesus, authority and leadership actually equals the opposite of that. So, so this is the kind of leadership that we pursue in the church, the, the kind that Jesus is talking about here. Servant leadership that's all about serving others and not about self-glorification. So again, we're, we're not saying all authority is bad. We're saying bad authority is bad. But we're saying that true and good authority should look pretty different and opposite than the way of worldly authority. 
It looks different. So as we start to look at the two offices of servant leadership in the church in the next few weeks, this is the foundation for anything else we're going to say about leadership. Now, there are some specific qualifications that I want to walk us through, one of which that I have I'm exercising right now, teaching. That's one of the the, the callings of the elders, Okay, and we're going to walk through some of that. But this is the foundational premise on top of which we place the other qualifications. So let's use that teaching as an example. You can use the authority that comes with teaching, right? Symbolized by the fact that I'm on like an elevated platform right now and you're all looking up at me, right? That's symbolic. I could use this platform, and this is a temptation of the devil on leaders. You can use this platform to glorify yourself, or you can use the platform of teaching to serve other people. That's the call of any gifting in the church, is to serve. This is the heart of it. And so Jesus here gives us the framework on on which the rest of it really hangs. But I also want to point something out in this text That's not stated in the text, but is right in the text. I want to point out not only Jesus' words themselves, but the way he's responding in this leadership moment. And this was really convicting for me, okay? This had to be an incredibly frustrating moment for Jesus. Like, if I was Jesus, there would, it's a good thing I'm not. Right. This had to be incredibly frustrating. These guys have been with him for so long at this point, and they're fighting about this stuff. Really? I, I mean, we read that they're indignant at one another over basically a power grab. They're mad at one another over this. So not only does Jesus teach them with his words, but what's apparent from this text is that he also is embodying the teaching he's talking about. The the way one in authority delivers the leadership also matters, which is why when we talk about leadership in the church, there is a list of character qualifications that matter so much more than competency does. Although both matter, character will trump competency. So Jesus is gentle in this moment with these guys. He doesn't berate them. He doesn't, that we can see, yell and scream at them. He just delivers the truth to them in what seems like a pretty gentle and patient manner. So when we think about leadership in the local church, we're going to see that this kind of patient, gentle leadership is a requirement. It doesn't mean that every situation ever calls for patience and gentleness. There's a a time for rebuke, right? But this is the underlying sort of characteristic of leadership when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, which is expressed as the church. And so Christianity is not simply about getting the right information. We are not a religion of information only. Information is a vehicle for transformation. And that's true in our leadership as well. Jesus is displaying for us the way a servant leader is supposed to teach here in this kind of moment. This is a hot conflict kind of moment. And this is a great example. You've heard me use this phrase before of Jesus being a non-anxious presence. Like, he's not caught up in their emotional nonsense, right? Not only are his words correct, but they're coming from this gentle and patient leader who right in this moment is embodying the very things he's teaching. So this is also really important in leadership. And, and, and so to, I just want to close by taking you to another place, another familiar place, right at the end of Jesus' life and ministry, uh, where we're going to see this really poignantly embodied and displayed. John 13. Jump over to John 13 if you want to. 
The scene is the Last Supper. Jesus is gathered with the disciples. And this is what John tells us in John 13. I'm going to take a drink of water so you can get there. Strategic. John 13, I'm going to read verses 3 through 5. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, there's some authority, right? God had given all things into his hand. Jesus knows who he is. He knows his role. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now I'm going to jump down to verse 12 for our purposes today. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, that's important. Jesus has a specific place, and we're going to see that. He said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? This is the sentence. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Authority and position and power are not inherently bad or wrong. Jesus is a rabbi, and it's right to call him Lord. He says to them, you call me rabbi or teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. So let's translate that into the local church. No pastor, no elders, no superintendent, no president of a denomination is greater than the head of the church, Jesus. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger, that's what the word apostle means, sent one, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So the question Jesus asks here is still such a relevant question for us. And especially for those of us who at some point in the life of our church will be called to fill a leadership role. Uh, See, the temptation of worldly authority and power is to ask the question, what can you do for me? Since I'm in this position, what can you give to me? This is the fall of sin rearing its ugly head when it comes to authority and when it comes to leadership. We turn inward towards ourselves, We ask, how can I benefit? What can we, the leader, get out of the authority that we have? And how can other people serve us? But Jesus asks a question that forces us to look at his example, and he asks us if we even realize what's happening here. As he asks the disciples, he, he says to those of us, uh, all of us who are just disciples, but I think specifically to those of us who are in leadership, remember, these men are going to become apostles not long from now. He says to those of us in leadership, do you see what I've done? Are you paying attention to what I'm doing? And then he goes on, and this sentence is such a game changer, again, for how we view leadership, I think, in the church, and the family of God. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. So so we have to catch this. He's not denying the reality of his authority. He's not saying, oh, no, 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 we don't have any authority. Everybody's just, it's fine. It's, everything's cool. Don't worry about that. Everybody's equal. Do, what you, do whatever you want. No. He's saying, he's, he's not saying there are no distinctions and there's no authority. He, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. That's the position I hold. That's the position I hold. That's the chair I sit in. But he also knows where it came from. It came from his father. 
He's wanting to make it clear to his disciples and to us, authority is not inherently bad. Positions of honor are not inherently wrong. You call me teacher and Lord and you are right. But now Jesus goes and flips everything they thought about leadership and authority and power upside down. In our minds, in their minds, we would expect, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right, so serve me. Do what I want, just do what I say and make me look awesome. But he flips it on its head. He says, since that is true, and I have already done this task of leadership that you all view as beneath you, how much more should you who freely admit with your own words that you are beneath me? That's what they're doing when they call him Lord. He says, if you freely admit with your own mouth that you're beneath me and I'm serving you, how much more then should you serve one another. So what does that mean for leadership in the church? It means that the kind of people that we ask to serve in positions of leadership in the church must be servant leaders. This is why shepherding is the analogy for eldering. The elders are the ones in the church who have the authority in the church. We saw that in our conversation about membership. And so those leaders must be servant leaders. Jesus tells these disciples that he has done this. Why? to give them an example. Now we know from the context here that Jesus is using the washing of feet as a metaphor for a life of service. He's not specifically saying you have to wash one another's feet, although there's nothing wrong with that. He's using it as a metaphor for a life of service, and we know that in not much time after this moment, he's going to display the ultimate in servant leadership by literally giving his life away. On the cross for those who would love and follow him. This is the model for all of us who are Jesus followers. But I think also especially true for those of us who will be called and who will be equipped and who will be placed by God to lead in his church. So leadership in the church is not about authority in the same way that leadership in the world is about authority. Leadership in the church is about following Jesus And as Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is the example of Jesus for all of us. But if you want to lead in the church, this must be the foundational way that you understand leadership. It's not about power. It's about serving. And this is a constant thing that leaders need to be reminded of because we're tempted by power. We like power. We like people to think much of us. Right, Even in a, in a small church or in just your family, who doesn't like to be thought of well? right? But that's not the call of leadership in the church. Now, what does that actually look like in the church? What do the elders and deacons actually do? Well, those are the primary two offices, the office of elder, the office of deacon. And I want to just encourage you, I'm going to give you a little homework. You probably maybe already know these texts, but 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, we're going to dig into those a little bit. Uh, next week is we're going to be looking at those texts in particular to look at the qualifications for the types of people that can fill those roles. So let me pray and then we'll uh, close for this morning. Jesus, we thank you for, first and foremost, for your example to us. We thank you that you came to show us the upside down nature of authority and leadership in the kingdom. Thank you that although we live in a world where we have a plethora of examples of the wrong way to think about leadership, that we 
can look to your life and, and the record of it that we have in our scriptures and, and the letters that are written after that as application of what it looks like for servant leadership in the church. And so I just pray um, that as we go out from this place that we, would, uh, that we would look for leaders like that, that we would call our leaders in our churches to be this way, and that if you are calling us to, to serve in the church, that we would uh, pursue that call and that we would uh, pursue what it looks like to, to become qualified for that and to, uh, to, to see our character transform into the kinds of people who can lead and to see our competencies uh, become what they need to be in order to lead in your church. And so we just ask that you would continue to make us into a family. We thank you that you've brought us through these difficult uh, last year and these last months. And I, I just thank you that um, as, we look, as I look out at this room and as I know the people who are watching online, you've drawn us together as a family. And I just pray that you would continue to do so as we continue to pursue you uh, and see what life in the kingdom looks like for us as a church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet. And uh, if you're watching online today, I want to say thanks for joining us. Love to connect with you. You can do that uh, by going just to lansdown.church is the simplest way. Uh, those of you in the room, if you have a prayer request or anything and you like forget to tell me today, uh, you can go to our church website as well, lansdown.church, click the connect button, and there's a little prayer form you can fill out. And that does get sent right to my email. So uh, I do see those and I do pray for those. Uh, also, when uh, speaking of praying for one another, if you didn't know, we have an app for our church that has a prayer group on it. Uh, and a number of us share things on there. And so if you need help getting on that, let me know, uh, and I'll help you with that. But that's a good way to stay connected as well. Uh, let me read you this uh, benediction, and then after that will be about two, three minutes, and we'll uh, come back in here and take communion together for those of us in the room. Uh, those of you watching online, we, again, thank you for joining us, and uh, we hope that you'll join us again next week, maybe in person, uh, maybe online. But let me speak this blessing over you from the book of Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.